Okay. So we're now recording. Okay. I think. Just check. Yep. It's always annoying to get that wrong. Um, Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. So today we're going to get better acquainted with Clive. Hello, Clive. Hello. How do me and you know each other? Uh, we met at university. Um, I saw Dave before he saw me because uh, Dave was a distinctive dresser. Well, I say was. <laughs> Dave is a distinctive dresser. And Dave was wearing a hat. And I thought, oh, God, it's just one of those hat-wearing people. <laughs> <laughs> but this was actually before there were very many people who were wearing hats. So to be fair... There weren't that many of those kinds of people around. Well, I think that people wear more hats in London. In Lancaster, where we were at university, people didn't wear many hats. So, well, yeah. So, I was I was, uh, I, I was was flatmates with Rich, who was doing the same course as Dave. And that's how I met Dave. And I discovered, actually, he's right. <laughs> uh, and what, and what, uh, what, what do you uh, do now, Clive? Well, not a lot. I have been studiously not doing things for a sol- almost a solid decade now since leaving university. The whole thing of pulling yourself together and doing one thing is... Um, actually, no, doing anything uh, is something I failed at uh, quite consistently. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I do? Oh, yeah, right. Um, I, uh, well, I... Um, I have a little family over on the uh, the other side of the English Channel. I try to keep at least, you know, 200 miles of open water between me and them at all times. Um, they're in Germany. They're in Germany, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so for the past seven or eight months, I've been doing a master's in environmental anthropology which is something I've been wanting to do for a very long time the course which I've been ogling on the internet for something like five years and never getting around to doing it until finally I persuaded myself and my family Frau uh, I don't know if she wants her name mentioned on this program Fair so enough. I'll keep it out I hope to get my her on Frau, later um, sometime that would be very interesting my Frau um, she, she she's very good at persuading me to do what's good for me which is you know what I guess relationships should be about really yeah so off I went and I studied did this course or have been doing this course I mean it's I'm I'm stretching out over two years I've done all the taught part and now what I'm doing is I'm hanging around for an extra week or so before I bugger off to Germany again and theoretically resume and that's resume in what do you call them speech marks resume earning money that's the the house phone going off in the background we'll just let it ring this is uh, just uh, for listeners this is to let you know this is the first interview that I have done for the podcast I probably won't put it out in the first episode but this is the first interview that I've done um, and the reason being that Clive is, is uh, hobnobbing off to Germany again and uh, had to take my window of opportunity when I when I could on your Form, Clive. That I, that I asked yeah. you to sign 
which you haven't signed yet, but you will sign at some point. Sign it later when um, you read it. Yeah, once you read it. Um, you, you said that you were interested in, in talking today about a few things, but the first thing on the agenda uh, was what is the point in anthropology, which is interesting because yeah. that's what you are currently doing. Yeah. Yeah, so Dave wants me to talk about well, he has some ideas of things I could talk about, but I felt very self-conscious talking about them because they're the kinds of things which I fear make me come across as the kind of person that I, I, I don't want to come across as. We're talking about a hippie. Yeah, they make me come across as a hippie. We're not going to specify what those things are. No. Right, and the topic I was thinking would be interesting to talk about was uh, something I'd been t- just been talking about with my aunt and uncle, actually, who I just visited, and they asked me, well what is your degree actually about? And with the kind of implication, at least that's how I interpreted, what's it for, you know, what good is it? That's, I guess, me over-interpreting. But it's an interesting thing to explore. So environmental anthropology is theoretically... (sighs) Anthropology is usually pretty difficult to find anyway because it's all about culture, and culture is a tricky thing to define. What's the difference between anthropology and environmental anthropology? It's supposed to be about... Yeah, the I guess that those those cultural phenomena which are to do with our interactions with the environment. However, I recently gave a talk where I sort of got somewhat ripped apart during the post. I, the, I did a good job in the talk, but I gave a de- definition of environment which excluded humans. I said the environment is those elements, biotic, abiotic and supernatural, which we perceive in our surroundings. Trying to have as broad a definition as possible, but keeping humans out of the definition. And this academic woman, who I can't stand, made a very good point, which is, or at least a problematic point, which was, well, why are you excluding humans from that definition? So the problem is... Isn't supernatural a human thing? I don't know. You know, in some societies, they may regard certain animals, which we would regard as just animals, as supernatural representatives, entities, or avatars, or something. So I don't think the supernatural necessarily has to be. But it's the perception anything. of the human being. Like in in theory, a rock is a rock, whether a human is there to see that rock, whereas a god is a only a god if a human being sees the god. Oh God! <laughs> anyway, so it's a tricky, tricky topic. Yeah. Okay. That's, <laughs> that, yeah, and, we might uh, be getting into a so, philosophical uh, yeah, mind. Basically, defining the environment is a little bit tricky, I think, or it can be seen as tricky, especially when you have some bloody pedantic social anthropologists knocking around trying to find holes in whatever you say. And so, um, why am I talking about this? You're trying to tell. It's a, you're talking. You're, you're talking about what. In, is environmental like what is the environmental oh, part? Fuck's sake, you were just talking that. You were just saying. I was. I just asked you what you wanted to say in terms of what is the difference between anthropology and environmental anthropology. Right. Okay. And yeah. So we we focus on the environment, but the problem is that that introduces yet another theoretical problem. I just say fuck it. I have my idea about what the environment is, and fuck it. 
she would then say, well, you have your idea about what the environment is, which means that when you're trying to investigate other other people's ideas of what the environment is, that's going to be a set of blinkers, which will mean you won't see things which you would otherwise see if you had a more open-minded definition. He's doing some good uh, visual hand gestures there. Yeah, that I won't come across on radio. <laughs> but but um, so but I mean, obviously that 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 the fact that everybody sees things from their own point of view can really be labelled at anyone probably at this 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 woman as well as is it you you probably see her as having blinkers and she sees you as having blinkers and well she's a social anthropologist so i can't stand them yeah well as okay a, so social, social anthropologists don't like uh, environmental anthropologists they don't, don't know and environmental anthropologists it's it's don't reciprocal know. okay good right um sounds like yeah a lot of a lot of different branches of academia uh Oh, I don't like academia nasty. that may have come across there. Well, no, absolutely, and I'm with Dave on that as well. I mean, you can edit out my my the gr- grinding gears of my thought processes. But that like, is, it does yeah, take a long time. That, that may happen. Yeah. Oh, and now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Well, basically, what's the point in anthropology? Let's get back to your right. Okay, topic. or academia as as as, as such, uh, because academia is a shitload of ideas. Some extremely, just a whole load of showing off, which is pretty superfluous, um, and using language which is obscure, which is idiotic, um, and then some good ideas in there as well. I mean, there must be, there are so many ideas, some of them must be good, and pretty much zero action, except for maybe applying for grants or something. (laughs) And that is fairly despicable. But as pastimes go it's not bad in the sense that it's not productive and I'm very much in favour of non-productive pursuits Um, I used to be very rude about art but now I'm very much in favour of it because because it doesn't actually do anything because it's just a waste of time it's just people having fun that's fine it's as soon as people are productive and I don't want to go on some kind of hippie environmentalist spiel but you know it's as soon as we start getting productive that we start messing things up so artists are good because they just waste their lives and that's why hippies are good too isn't it (laughs) Um, (laughs) they just waste their lives yeah I guess you're right I guess you're right yeah actually yeah yeah well, maybe we're, we're getting to so academics, maybe by the hippies. end of this, this discussion, you'll have learned to love hippies. All these all these people who I've been brought up to maybe not think very much of, or maybe I'm being unfair. No, I'm being unfair. No, I've been brought up to think that's all. But all these people I've tended to sort of despise because they're just so ineffectual and floppy and they're rubbish. Cult- they're hippies, not, They're artists, presented by academics. culture pretty badly. They, and they present themselves pretty badly as well. I, I think artists... I I often think artists have a big problem with the way they They've present They've got themselves. dick all to offer. <laughs> and that is their strength. And they should admit it. And the problem with most artists is they pretend that they have something amazing to offer. And the problem with art academics, ditto. And hippies, well, who knows? They're a tricky one. What is the point in anthropology? So, right, you've, okay, so you, now, you've said that there's a point in studying anthropology. What right. is, if, if Out of all of the choices that you can make academically, mm. why anthropology? Well, I simply do it because I find it interesting I was going to say obviously but people are also, also motivated by you know thinking they can get a job out of something I guess I was also motivated by thinking I could get a job out of it the past 
years since university, I've been just trying to make money through whatever means, very unsuccessfully. And I selling think, well, his, selling his body. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> no one paid. Um, and so now I'm thinking, well, instead of trying to just make money by whatever means, um, I have a little family now and some responsibilities. Literally, Two children. Literally little. They're all quite short. They are. Even the children may even grow. The, big ones are small. The, the children may grow. <laughs> yeah, there's good signs there on that front, actually. Um, yeah. What? What? What are we talking about? We're talking about anthropology. Life, <laughs> and what be, the point is? I, is I think this is nice. Um, <laughs> so, your feature of this. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? What are we talking What's the point in anthropology, mm. guy? Like, Get what, me back on the topic. What is the purpose in anthropology? I guess that's what your your relatives have been asking you. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Well, yeah, they asked me why I was doing it, and I interpreted that as a as a, a question which they weren't asking, but which they might implicitly, secretly have been asking, which was, yeah. So what they actually asked was, why are you doing it? But I sort of interpreted it more as... Why would one? Why would anybody do yeah. it? What's the point of doing it? And... Yeah, so I couldn't actually come up with an answer, and um, uh, th then then I did come up with one answer, which was well, it's it could at least be advocacy work. So it doesn't actually have any function in our society, but um, one thing that anthropologists have sort of done in the past and are still doing to an extent is they use their position as as, as you know long-term visitors to other cultures to basically stick up for those cultures. Now, I'm not saying all cultures are, you know, equally good or anything like that. But, you know, there's been a pretty long tradition in, uh, I guess, pretty much any culture you come across, this whole thing of, what's it called? I should know, it's a basic, fundamental anthropological concept. This idea that you think that your own culture is, you know, the bee's knees, the and everybody one. else has got something wrong in a minor so, or major way. So the kind of cultural imperialist, imperialist not instinct, not, yeah. not not maybe just arrogance. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's called ethnocentrism. That's what it's called. Ethnocentrism. That's a nice uh, word. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. <coughs> so um, yeah, so we're we're very ethnocentric, and the problem is we're not just ethnocentric. Like pretty much any culture you'll find, we're also very powerful, and in a theoretically, anthropologists some anthropologists um, may have helped to curb that ethnocentrism a little bit and help us, I mean I see Bruce Parry as an anthropologist he might not have been trained uh, he might not be doing what just, you know some academics might see as a, a proper job but he's showing us other cultures or who's, bits who's, of other cultures who's, who's Bruce Parry? Um, television go around he's this programme called Tribe right? same with that that bloke who looks like a big boy in shorts. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, he's 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 a he's a good bloke. He's a very nice bloke. Um, okay. He does kind of survival related programs and. Oh, uh, yeah. Ray Mears. Ray Mears, yeah, yeah that's Ray right. Ray Mears, he's done some really good stuff, and that's sort of you know, looking at how other people in other cultures get by. So that's also anthropology, and I think the function of that kind of stuff and Benedict Allen as well. So are you sort of saying that what what anthropology offers the culture that the anthropologist is in is a sort of empathy with other cultures. Which might slightly help to 
curb the steamroller effect that our culture has on those other cultures. So in a way you're making the claim for anthropology that a lot of artists make about art, which is that it's a kind of conscience for the culture, that it can provide a conscience. I guess, but not just that. I mean, I would hope that there would also be real effects. Well, in the sense that if our culture, you know, if we have a kind of Victorian attitude of we are just the best, which is pretty much the same attitude we have now, but back then it was perhaps a bit more blatant. If you have that kind of attitude, then you can just destroy all these other peoples and cultures without having any kind of moral problem. Except perhaps you might be thinking, okay, we can't be killing people, but we can certainly get rid of these cultures. That's not a problem. And we can force enlightenment onto them. If you, you know, if you've been watching Bruce Parry or Ray Mears or whatever, you might be looking at those other cultures and thinking, oh, well, actually, do they really need what we've got? And even if they do, how about we just let them decide what they want from us? Or from the rest of the world rather than us assuming that they need our stuff and forcibly um, bring them into our culture okay I think let's just take a moment here for you to define what anthropology means to the, the layman because I mean it's not quite as uh, unfamiliar a term maybe as ethnocentricity but it's still uh, an academic term that that y- your common person will not necessarily well you've heard of anthropology but you won't necessarily know what it is the same with sociology or any of these oh i'm sorry uh, well, okay no but i was just thinking perhaps sociology would be a good thing to draw into the discussion at okay, this point okay i have a deep-seated hatred of sociology and i I'm not quite sure why, um, but I think it's something to do with the idea that it's not anthropology. (laughs) (laughs) In the sense that, and I think this is maybe, perhaps this is the only difference between sociology and anthropology. Sociology is the study of society, right? Whereas anthropology gets called the study of culture or cultures. Mm -hmm. Another, an alternative definition, which is perhaps not so PC, but a lot more amusing, is uh, anthropology is the sociology of brown people. Right. (laughs) Which is sort of true in that sociology is basically about trying to work out how our society works. Whereas anthropology is trying to find out what societies are out there in general? What cultures are out there? What What is the broadest possible spectrum of ways of being in the world Okay. that different groups of people can live? Sociology is pretty much, you could almost say, maybe it could even be accused of being ethnocentric. Sociology, oh, no, it just had different priorities. Sociology was focused on this society and not that much interested in other societies. It's, it's not a perfect dichotomy. I mean, I assume... I know. The early sociologists are also regarded as early anthropologists, that's the thing. But sociologists have tend to specialise in looking at this society, anthropologists look at all sorts of different societies and cultures in general. That's the difference. And you can have different kinds of anthropology, so you could have, well actually you can have physical anthropology which isn't actually looking at culture, it's looking at, well it's, it's a bit kind of... Mm, regard as a bit dubious, you know, like measuring bits of people. 
seeing what shape their heads are. That that stuff, um, yeah. That very much kind of old school, 1920s, 1930s. Yeah, trying to work out what was the best race and the most advanced race was sort of what they were trying to do, which is now sort of frowned upon. Desmond Morris is an anthropologist. Yes. He had lots of, I like his books. They've got nice pictures. <clears throat> most characterise his stuff as more kind of evolutionary psychology. But I guess so, yeah. It is, I mean, there's the, the, these things blur into each other anyway, so, yeah. I, I mean, how, where do, do, are, you, are you comfortable with psychology? I mean, I don't mean you're comfortable with being psychologically analysed. I mean, are you comfortable with the concept of looking at the way the human mind works physiologically in, a, in order to understand the way that human beings operate? I think you have to, yeah. These things have all been sort of separated out and given names, but really, in order for anthropology to get anywhere, it has to, it has to have a lot to do with these things which are perhaps traditionally thought of as belonging to other disciplines. Apart from sociology, which you don't want it to have anything to do with. Well, I mean, the fact is, you know, like I say, these early sociology people had a lot to do with it, and I'm sure there are people doing sociology now who I wouldn't, you know, have any big arguments with. I just don't like just being focused on this society. I think that's really our society here in Europe or in the West or whatever you want to call it. That kind of focus is just so small-minded and narrow. I'm interested in the breadth of human experience, the diversity of different ways of living which there are, because different ways of living, different ways of thinking, what this all means is that effectively the more cultures there are, in a way, the more different worlds there are. And um, in a way, yeah, anthropology can be seen as not, yeah, the study of different cultures, the study of different worlds. And so, I mean, really you're talking about diversity, which is, I mean, when I first met you, that was all you talked about mm. and it had a big lasting impression on me. I think it's fundamentally shifted my world view in some respects. Uh, because before I met you, I was very much a kind of um, orientated more towards a very close-minded left-wing perspective on things, and I hadn't really thought about the idea of... When I first met you, you talked a lot about diversity, mm. um, and is that what you sort of see anthropology as being about? I see that that's what it is for me. I know that anthropology... Your typical anthropology course, I think, which is not what I've just been doing, but your typical anthropology course, which would be called social or cultural anthropology. Oh, um, there's that social word again. Exactly. <laughs> which, that's that little dose of bile and poison, which uh, just messes it all up. And um, what seems to have happened, and I'm no great expert, but I've had to read a few things by these kinds of authors, is... Here's a pause you can edit out, Dave. See, when you say that, it makes me more tempting to leave in. <laughs> if it was a pause, I'd probably cut it. What's happened is, anthropology did used to be this whole sociology of brown people thing. It used to be all about going out into the field, going out to exotic places, meeting exotic, very different people. It was all about difference. Diversity, I suppose. And that's what appeals to me. I like the exotic and different. Do you yeah. have a question? Well, I was going to say, isn't there a and I, I, isn't there a criticism that is at, at labelled at that 
kind of thinking uh, about um, kind of the exotic eroticization of oh god there I go we're having it, it it's been years since I've used these words but the, <laughs> the you know make the other the for fuck's sake sorry that's what happened that's what happened <laughs> to anthropology this whole talk about self and other but you have an attraction to something that isn't the same as you that seems like a very reasonable point of view men mm. fancy women but there's no reason why you shouldn't be interested in in other races other cultures mm. because they're different mm. but the the criticism that gets labeled on it is that you're kind of reducing it to just the positives because it's say for example someone who fancies someone of a different race just because of their race rather than because of who they are and that's how people can be seen as looking at other cultures i i don't think i'm hugely guilty of that i am a bit um but i you know i'm not saying our culture is messed up and everybody else has got it right i'm not even saying you know all hunter-gatherer cultures have got it right i'm just saying I'm open-minded to other ways of doing things and I think some of those other ways of doing things, those other cultures, might be better places to live. For me, possibly for everybody. Mm. Maybe some are just better tuned to human needs. It's hard to give up computers. I know. I was in the jungle and I was only there the second time for six weeks and uh, I, I missed alcohol and sugar and the internet and I felt really annoyed with myself for missing those things for being such a softy thought you know you should be a man you should go out into the well not actually it wasn't about being a man you should you should follow your ideals for yourself <laughs> and um, go fishing or god forbid go hunting um, and I didn't do a lot of that because hunting's a scary kind of thing. I didn't have uh, any hunting gear, um, so what would I have used? I guess I would have, I would have, I would have had to use Banawar kit or borrow a shotgun. I mean, Banawar was the tribe that you. Sorry, yeah, the, the tribe which we stayed with, yeah. So um, I would have had to use a shotgun, which I, I've never used, and. I guess well, that would be less scary than using the Banoir's, um traditional stuff, which would be poison-tipped arrows and spears, because in my case that would just be asking for trouble. Clive's quite clumsy. He once nearly burnt me to death. <laughs> nearly burnt I, my when house we were, down. When we were with the Banoir, I nearly shot one of the Banoir in the <laughs> eye. Jesus. With a fishing arrow. <laughs> That, anyway. was, that would be an awkward uh, anthropology, <laughs> issue, anthropological issue. It would have been terrible. White man comes along and shoots <laughs> you in the eye with your fishing tackle because he wants to understand your culture. Um, so it bounced off a tree. <laughs> to be fair, I made sure all of the tribe was behind me, <laughs> but it bounced off a tree, went out past my shoulder, and then fortunately just past his shoulder, but, you know, an inch away from his eye. So you've spent some time with the Banawar tribe. Yeah. What? What is that? I mean, what is the diff? What from an anthropological point of view and from a personal point of view, mm. what is the what is their alternative way? What do they offer? So there's less going on. There's less going on. And us. Yeah. Um. Uh. It seems that people. I mean. Data on hunter gatherers worldwide shows that. They don't do as much work as we do. 
So that is an important thing to realise, I think. There's a stereotype, stereotype kind of idea that they were just working really hard, slogging away all the time, digging up roots and chasing after saber-toothed tigers and so on, or being chased by them or whatever it was. That doesn't seem to be the case. If we if we look at um, hunter-gatherers like the like the Bushmen in um, in in Africa, who I know, depending on who you ask, there's perhaps there's supposed to be called the San or I don't know what. Let's call them the Bushmen for now, um, or this uh, this other people called the Hadza or whatever. We're talking about those sort of able-bodied adults in in the tribe or band um, working something like four, five, six hours a day and thereby supporting their children and the less able-bodied and the elderly. they have any days off? Yeah. This is just averaged out. That's what it comes to. I mean, there's there's even been reports of, you know, four hours. So, not bad. Oh, four hours. That'd be nice. Yeah, but yes, like you say, no internet. uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah so exactly. What would we, what would I do the rest of my day? If I, four hours of work, fine, but yeah. Indeed. What do you do, and what do they do? Yeah, so what the do they do? Work is kind of divided. So men tend to specialise in hunting. Women also do a bit of hunting, and women do the gardens, um, and children just mess around. But messing around also means kind of learning how to do stuff, um, how to hunt or out and garden and so on, out of fish. And uh, what my wife and I noticed when we were there is that, you know, these children, they, they're always, well, actually all of them, they seem to be very contented people. It's not just like when you watch uh, a, a documentary on television and they're just kind of happy and excited maybe because a documentary team is there and that's normally they're grumpy or something. We were there for six weeks, and for the whole time, they just seemed to be jolly, light-hearted, not very worried about anything kinds of people. This is the this is the adults as well as the children. This is everybody. Everyone. Yeah, you notice it in everybody. I mean, it seems strange to me. Not that I doubt what you're saying, but just from my own ethnocentric viewpoint, Mm. I must find it really hard to believe, empathise, understand that there are people walking around the world without constant neurosis. Well, like I said, I'm, I don't want to idealise, you know, hunter-gatherers or tropical rainforest people or whatever, you know. There might be tribes where they're always pissed off. Um, I get the impression that that kind of way of life tends to make, satisfy human needs better than our way of life does. And the people are, as a consequence, happier, I think. Uh, in the case of the Banawar, from direct experience, that's really what it looks like. Yeah, and what do they do in their spare time? They sit around, they... I know, make hammocks, they talk, eat, they have radios, what else? Not a lot. What do they listen to on the radio? They, oh god, they listen to, (laughs) they listen to some pretty bad Brazilian pop. I mean, there's really good Brazilian music, but this wasn't it. And adverts. They listen to Adverts for fridges, I seem to remember. I distinctly remember an advert for fridges. There was a sale on. Okay. In a city which would be about a month's travel away. So they're not, I mean, so that tribe is not even completely and utterly separated from our culture. Did you just say naive? What? <laughs> no, I mean, they're not even completely oh, separated. Oh, not even? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, naively, no, they're, they're naively separated. <laughs> yeah, no, not even separated. 
from our culture. They They're still influenced in some separated ways. because they live 12 days travel from the nearest non-Indian Brazilian settlement. Yeah, but they have radio. Uh, but they have radio, so the, the, yeah, the, there is influence there, yeah. But they still speak their own language and they are, I guess, what's significant is they are politically independent. Okay. They decide how they deal with things, you know. They, under Brazilian law, as far as I know, they can kill people on their reserves without there being any repercussions. Okay. Cool. They've got sovereignty. Um, Brazil does not do things perfectly, but um, it's doing the best job I know of worldwide in terms of respecting uh, the rights of native peoples to self-determination. Okay. Um, the army and the police aren't allowed to go on to indigenous territories. So what's your everyday life, like, what's your everyday life experience for a Banua uh, tribes person? Oh, God. I mean, what, do they, what, what are their living conditions? Okay, so they live in these thatched huts on stilts. They're maybe, I don't know, four foot off the ground or something. They have all these dogs running around the place. The place is really clean because they keep their dogs really hungry. And so the dogs just tie the place up all the time. Uh, not so fun for the dogs, maybe. The dogs are hunting dogs. So they, well, at least the Banawa, I mean, it seems logical to me, seem to have the attitude you need to treat them mean to keep them keen. <laughs> Uh, in, so that they'll, you know, run after prey. Uh, the dogs belong to the women because the the women, when the women go hunting, they go hunting with dogs. Um, and the dogs will chase down whatever prey, even jaguars. And um, the women will then catch up with whatever poor animals being caught by the dogs and beat it to death with sticks. Sounds like my kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> they get up. I guess once it starts getting light, um, the first sound you hear will be. <laughs> all adults will make that noise when they get up. So they're spitting. They spit a lot. Yeah, there's a. They all um, take a kind of snuff, which is which you've tried, Dave. Actually, which you really didn't like. Which I've tried, which I also really didn't like. Oh, which yeah. seems to basically be um, in Dave's case. It, I don't think it particularly had any effect. It lacked it. nicotine. Well, it didn't actually. Oh, according right. According to my research, according to my research, neighbouring tribes who they're very closely related to have also have the snuff, which I assume is the same one, which is basically it's uh, tobacco, dried, powdered, and mixed with cocoa ash. Okay. Thing is, I was shown a plant which they said they made it of, and it didn't made it like from. It did not look like tobacco. So okay. I don't know. This stuff is basically like an instant hangover. Uh, well, at least when I had it. Yeah, it didn't have any effect on me. I have a little bit of a better capacity for um, drink than Clive. <laughs> yeah, um, and tobacco. Yeah, tobacco yeah. being significant <laughs> <laughs> thing there. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, so they 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 spit and uh, they get up and I guess they make breakfast. I don't know. And you hear the radios and um, and then people just go off and do their thing. The women will wander off maybe around nine o'clock ish, maybe a bit earlier. They'll they'll wander off to the gardens and maybe their daughters might go with them. Maybe their sons might go with them. And you know the men, some of them might go hunting. They tend to go hunting by themselves. Women tend to go hunting in group. Of course, hunting trips can last a few days. So you know might be nine o'clock and you've got a bloke coming back from hunting trip I don't know or fishing or just sitting around I mean you know when we're there they know that we like I know we like their stuff you know we like 
we like Banoir gear, we buy it, um, and so they you get a lot of activity which might not take place when we're not there, which is the making of stuff which they then sell to us. Uh-huh. But we've got we've got loads of that stuff. Now. And do they so have? Do they? Perhaps next time we go, we should tell them that just ease up on the spears and stuff. Stop giving us spears for God's sake! <laughs> we can't get them back on the aeroplane. Do they make art? Um, good question. They stick pointless feathers on the backs of their spears. If art is pointless, pretty stuff, right? Then. Those two feathers would constitute art, would they not? They would cut. I would class them as art. Mm. I know some people wouldn't. What? I don't know. We, to be fair, I, I, what every every statement I make about them comes with you know. Just the, you've only been there for a short yeah, amount exactly. of time. You you know blah blah blah. Don't speak. They don't even speak the language. Don't even speak the language. Communicating with them in Portuguese. Okay. So yeah, uh, but but what about science? What about anthropology? Do they? analyze the world around them have you observed them trying to make sense of the world around them uh, I assume they must have done I mean they must that's do kind that. of what I want to look into with my dissertation it's not that I necessarily want to talk about that but I want to look at how they perceive ideas. and respond to environmental change that's what I'm going to be looking at so I'm going to be pretty much studying what you're talking about there well that's an interesting thing to be studying I'd certainly give you funding is. I only need 5,000 if anybody's you can interested start. in supporting this yeah. by the way 5,000 anything you uh, could, pounds though would be good you could start one of them crowdsourcing mm. accounts and try and get people mm. to fund you they're all arranged these days but then the question would be why would you do that just to bring us maybe back to the main yeah. thing why would you even do that what's the point in looking at how the Banoir perceive and respond to change in the environment well, what's the point in looking at any of this stuff well is are you saying that is your fundamental kind of concern with anthropology what this culture can learn from it so we can make changes to our culture to maybe make our lives happier or is it protecting these other cultures from maybe learning some of the things from our culture that that you don't and consider makes people very happy well, the point is that that second thing you said is is almost right, but it is tricky to you know decide for other people what they should be exposed to and what they shouldn't be exposed to. Even though I think I would perhaps be one of the better pe- placed people on the planet to do this, <laughs> maybe nobody should be able to do that. I quite um, agree. So what it's really about is allowing. For me, um, we should be allowing these people to make choices for themselves and this is what Brazil's got right in the sense that it it does try to make a point of demarcating tribal traditional tribal territories so that they at least have um, you know their traditional land base and then if they decide they want to I don't know go hunting on mopeds or adopt shotguns (laughs) or um, get flat screen televisions then that's up to them Important. but at least they have not had Important. to come across as extremely <sighs> Marxist at least they haven't had their means of production pulled out from under their feet Okay. they can choose to take whatever they want from our society but we shouldn't be forcing any of these things down their throats some of them will take it the Banua are very interested in a lot of stuff from our society uh, other cultures like the Pidaha 
who live in a similar area in the western Amazon are not at all interested or at least last time I checked they, they, just, weren't. they just ignored you <laughs> they've been exposed to our culture for well I say they've been exposed to Portuguese and Brazilian influences for uh, 200 years and are simply not interested so you know the responses of different cultures vary some are extremely you could say resilient and will just carry on pointedly being who they are no matter what impressive technology you throw at them and others um, others you know look at the stuff we have and say okay I want that I want that I want that I want that and you know then there's everything in between so like people like I'm very easily influenced by things and like language and stuff mm. whereas some other people like you are quite resiliently carefully vet every cultural variant which yeah. comes their way well I guess I can't I clearly don't do that otherwise I would be uh, not recognisably human <laughs> but uh, I do I do yeah you I try to make a, a point I can't help but just observe cultural phenomena and linguistic phenomena around me and well, you get into different think kinds critical of, thoughts. You like you like that Rufus Wainwright track that I gave, that I played you once. What, the Men Reading Fashion Magazine? Yeah, well? that one. Mm. <laughs> I like the other one as well, though. What, the other Rufus Wainwright yeah. track? Which, what, Cigarettes and Chocolate Milk? Yeah, but that's not relevant, I think. <laughs> <laughs> both, both of them have got quite lyrics that are quite kind of... Um, not what I'd expect you to like. What is your what is the point then in anthropology? And have you come to any conclusions having discussed it for two days with your relatives oh, and right, studied yeah. it for a long long time? Um well it's yeah So what's the point? Yeah, so advocacy work would be one purpose. If you can help to persuade people to um not help to steamroller other cultures then that's good and there are charities I know there's one called Cultural Survival I don't know much about it that's based in the US and there's Survival International here in Britain which I've done a bit of volunteer work for and they're about helping survival uh, helping Culture. tribal yeah. people they define them as tribal peoples decide their own futures it's not it's not about protecting them from widescreen televisions flat screen whatever but it is about allowing those people the choice and of course the, the fundamental thing there is that these people get to keep their land if they've got their land then they can choose if they haven't got their land then our culture essentially has them by the balls and they are automatically just an underclass rather than another culture so you're talking about the advocacy work that you can do as an anthropologist is that the only i mean is then is there none of the what can i take from these cultures well, indeed, I, there, there is, theoretically. Better. There is, theoretically. I got into an argument um, during one seminar um, in the past you know, few months, uh, and there were social anthropologists at the seminar. And uh -oh. obviously, it was an accident waiting to happen. And the, uh, the, the, the convener, or whatever they're called, the lecturer said, what is anthropology for? Or something like that. I said, 
uh, it's an opportunity to look at other cultures, decide what we like and don't like, what we think is good and what isn't, and maybe even possibly adopt those different ways of doing things. And then, at which I got pounced on by a social anthropologist who just hated the very concept of making any judgement about what's a better way of doing things than other ways of doing things. Uh, does that make any sense? Yeah, Not yeah. Programmatically right, but there's this thing in in anthropology which is um, what you might say is a, it's an it's an analytical approach which is supposed to help you um, be more objective about culture in general, and uh, it's a way of trying to avoid ethnocentrism, and it's called cultural relativism, and it means you just suspend all judgments about what's good and bad in order to do your anthropology. Okay. In order to understand those cultures, you can't be sitting there going, oh, but that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. You just have to accept it, try to work out the whole thi- how the whole thing works, write it down, whatever. So the, the, the equivalent to this would be the attitude within science, which is you just observe, you just observe things. You don't make any moral choices. So you work out how to build a nuclear bomb because you can. Mm. You don't go, oh, well, maybe that's not a path that I should pursue because that will lead to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it is an attempt to be kind of, yeah, I guess an attempt to be scientific, yeah. And um, I mean, it makes it into a formula, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that a kind of... You're looking at everything. I mean, I think that's a my feeling about this kind of way of thinking is that when people say there is no ideology involved in this way of behaving, then that's that, the most ideological. Yeah, position that's there massively is. ideological, and that's yeah. a big like that's a big warning sign for me. Yeah. So when people say, "Oh, the market is just the rules of the market are just ob- objective," you, then that that clearly says to me the the market is very not, not it's very yeah. much not an objective force on society. Or just like people saying, I'm not political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm not political is one of the most political. Thing you and, hear anybody say. and it's a very political statement. Because it is so political, yeah. yeah. Without, just dangerously political. <laughs> um, right, so that's the idea. It's, it's, it's a method. You suspend your moral judgment in order to make a decent analysis, or in order to try to make a decent analysis. Um, and social anthropologists, it seems to me, uh, there seems to be a tendency. Well, at least no. I don't want to make a generalization about social anthropologists. I'll just get pounced on. This girl, anyway, she was of the opinion that you have to think like that all the time. Whereas I'm thinking, well, as long as you're not imposing it on other cultures your idea of what's right and wrong, you can suspend your moral judgement, go out there, find out how other cultures work, come back to your own culture, and use the useful stuff. So you don't judge make, them... Make ju- yeah. not, don't judge them in the field. Don't, don't judge them for committing incest, but maybe take away from their culture a really good way of managing your time, for example. Or, or maybe come back from it thinking, oh, maybe incest is a good idea after all. Fair enough. God, you got me all distracted, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I should have known mentioning incest would be like red rag to a bull. Um, yeah, um, incest, big topic in anthropology. Well, I should imagine. Mm. <laughs> um, right, well, so, yeah, so, so we, can, we can go out there, get this information, come back to our culture, our own culture, and get judgmental about it. 
They think, okay, well actually, no, what we're doing is rubbish compared to that, which they've got over there. Look, I know, for instance, I know, if we're going to be, I know, you could imagine Victorian anthropologists going out and realising, oh, actually, women don't have to be just rubbish, floppy things which just faint and don't do anything else. They can actually do useful stuff as well. Maybe they're capable of, you know, intelligent thought. <laughs> it hadn't occurred to us before, but now that we've seen it taking place in a, this other society, huh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe they should vote after all. I'm not saying women should vote. No, I mean, <laughs> who, would but, say, who would say that? But that would be one possible interpretation. Isn't there an argument that could be made that when you do that, when you look at our culture and you say, what, that we could use this thing and that thing in our culture hmm. haven't you then strayed into the territory of socio sociology because w well informed yeah social engineering in yeah, fact we, or cultural engineering yeah i mean you're looking yeah. at our culture and you are analyzing what our culture is hmm. and you're analyzing other cultures i mean isn't maybe that your issue with sociology being that it's very, it is very blinkered. It's only looking at one facet, and you're not saying that we should look at other cultures in isolation. That we should look at all cultures, including our own, analyze them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then come up with some conclusions for ourselves and for how we treat others. But what's the point? What is the fucking point? Well, because at the end of the day. So you come back, you find out this other society where you've just spent the past year has this amazing way of doing X and you think we should do X in the same way. Fine, now implement it. Well, that Engineer your culture. Well, Try to change the way your culture well, works. How the, how the hell are you going to do that? Well, that is, I would say, one of the major kind of problems inherent within our culture is that the individuals have absolutely no control or power to influence uh, our culture in any significant way because they don't have money. I nearly said capital, but I know people write, write you off if you go around using capital all the time. I think um, perhaps the two big problems with anthropology are... Well, anthropology, I think, does generate knowledge. But I think the, the, prob the two problems are, firstly, that knowledge can't be used. So you find out this wonderful thing about how other societies do things, but try using that to change your own culture. Try engineering your culture in any way. It's going to be very, very difficult. You know, maybe you find out that some other culture has... that the people are all supremely happy because they have a particular belief system. How are you going to engineer a new belief system into your culture? How are you going to change your own? Exactly. It's It's... it's it's, a, it's an impossible job on the personal level, I mean, never mind the, the, the population level. I mean, one of the things I often think about religious people is that they seem, oh, not all of them, not all religions, not like um, an intensely kind of semi-fascist Islamic state, but a lot of religious people seem to me happier because they have not so much self-doubt and questioning and neurosis, as I was referring to earlier, in their lives. And it's enviable, mm. but you can't just go, right, well, I'm just going to believe in God then. Because it just seems... I mean, I'm, I'm agnostic, kind of militantly agnostic, but mm. that's as far as I can get. I can't get any further than agnos agnosticism because mm. I there's no evidence for, for anything else. Or what if you... Um, there's you no evidence that God doesn't exist either. 
What if you uh, find out that this other, you know, that I know, I don't want to go all environmentalist, sorry, but this is just an example. You find out that uh, environmentally benign behaviour is associated with, let's say, animism, you know, believing that everything in nature is imbued with some kind, has a has a soul or, or something and uh, that this kind of automatic respect which you have as a result of being an animist means that you are not going to uh, I know pollute the atmosphere with more than your allotted share of carbon dioxide or something like that and so if you found that there was this somewhat preposterous um, uh, correlation, and you thought that, that that this was the this was the causality. You know, they believe this, therefore they they behave like that, which is problematic. But maybe maybe that's how it is. Try implementing that. It's kind of something which you know pretty much everybody would agree we would need now because environmentally things are going a little bit tits up. Uh, carbon dioxide does look like a bit of a problem, and wow, yeah, we found out the problem is just our belief system. Let's just change it. How the hell are you going to do that? So that's one flaw with anthropology. The second flaw is, even if you could implement the changes, mm -hmm. isn't that a fucking scary idea? What, social engineering? Yeah. Yeah. So, either it's useless or it's scarily useful. Anthropological it, knowledge is either useless or scarily useful. Godwin's law, you know, I'm going to do that now. Hitler, you know, was a social... Uh, yeah, engineer. There's an interesting story. There's this uh, chap, French anthropologist, wrote. I know 1930s and 1940s. He wrote a very famous thing, which I may have read a bit of, <laughs> which I should have read all of. Called the Gift. Um, he's called Marcel Mauss. Apparently, you're supposed to say Mauss or something because he was French. But fucking hell, look at his name, Mauss. It's clearly a German name. I'm going to say Mauss. So Marcel Mauss. <laughs> he uh, he was a he was a sociologist. He was, I think, the nephew of Durkheim. I don't know any of these. There's other French bloke called Durkheim, and uh, he 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 sort of he explored how societies work and that what what makes what makes societies tick and what makes them stick together and be a cohesive whole and all that kind of stuff. And he wrote a book about it. I don't think I'm talking about the gift. Um, I think I'm talking about a diff, a diff, something else. And uh, he wrote this thing, and then he observed Hitler rising to power in Germany, and he was a bit worried. And he heard what Hitler was doing, and he thought, "Fuck, this man's been reading my book. He's taken my findings and he's using them." Next thing Mouse knew, um, the Germans were coming across the border and they'd occupied Paris. And there he is, sitting in Paris for the whole of the war at his little desk in his little anarcho tea shop or whatever he'd spend his time in. I think it wasn't like an anarcho tea shop. And he sat there at this desk with a revolver in the drawer waiting for the Nazis to come in through the door and... Um, you know, finish him off because, you know, he was a political radical. Not only waiting for that, but knowing that he'd created this phenomenon. He'd written the book which had made this thing happen and just blown up in his face. As it turned out, Hitler had never read the book yeah, and he had nothing to do with it. But 
That was he could have been. It could happen. Fear. It could happen. You know, you imagine if you do write an excellent instruction book on how to manipulate society. You take all these anthropological findings and you turn them into something usable. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scary. Well, this is interesting. I mean, this because this is a this is a fear, I guess, that goes across kind of any body that writes whatever. So it can be academic stuff. It can be scientists, like I said earlier, discovering how to make a nuclear bomb. Um, and it can be a, an artist worrying about how their their text can influence other people. I think we're about time to to, to wrap this one up. So, uh, Clive, it's been uh, it's been fun getting better acquainted with you. Um, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> um, and this is just a, just before we wrap it up. Can I have some of your semen <clears throat> to use uh, to impregnate? No. Um, have you got anything you want to plug? Uh, hmm, that's a very good question (laughs) let me just think about that well I know I guess I guess in a way I have I mean like I say I did some volunteer work for Survival International so I guess I would say um, that if you do care about um, the rights of uh, tribal people, indigenous people, whatever you want to call them, uh, then Survival International does seem to do some pretty good work along those lines. And uh, the money does seem to mostly go on actually getting stuff done, like legal help and that kind of stuff, rather than just, you know, paying employees. They pay their employees quite badly. Um, I went to an interview once, that wasn't encouraging. But that means, yeah, more gets spent. If you want to give money to someone who pays their own workers badly, but looks after tribal people successfully, then then give your money and your time and write letters and stuff for survival. Yeah, apparently writing letters helps. I, I don't know. Apparently you used it does. To, you used to do it a lot. When you... Yeah, yeah. God, what a bloody hat that was. <laughs> okay, well, it's been nice getting... Uh, getting even better acquainted with you because I'm quite well acquainted with you <laughs> already and um, yeah goodbye from, from me and uh, Clive you want to say goodbye to the listeners I'm hungry yeah okay <laughs> you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast you can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.